at CCD to engage experts from across the world on issues that matter. And today's webinar is, of course, no exception. A week has passed since Russian troops advanced into Ukraine. And during this week, we as the global community have indeed drifted further away from consensus and much needed dialogue. Instead, a barrage of polarized views, disinformation campaigns and growing heat have captured the public realm. And unfortunately, even facts stand debatable. As of today, about half a million Ukrainians have become refugees and civilian deaths have also been reported. And as ordinary citizens are taking up arms, Russia-Ukraine talks are currently underway, but no progress has been made so far. Meanwhile, a salvo of sanctions has been calibrated against the Kremlin, affecting ordinary Russians. Amidst all this, a broad range of speculations have been made about Vladimir Putin's moves, responses of Joe Biden and NATO partners, as well as China's reaction. So the real question is, as this crisis unfolds and people stand divided, how can we make sense of the events unfolding? What are the real far-reaching implications for the future of the world order? And what is the impact on the already complex and quite precarious geopolitical fault lines of these developments? Today, we will try to understand the causes and consequences of the Ukraine crisis from imperative perspectives. We have with us uh, Vice President of the Center for China and Globalization, Mr. Victor Gao. And we also have with us President Europe Asia Center, Piet Steele. We are su supposed to be joined by Professor Anna Vasilieva. So my apologies to the audience. There was some misunderstanding with the time, but we will make sure that we have her in a discussion very soon to get her perspective on this issue as well. So to start with, I will firstly, and, and yes, of course, I'm Zoon Ahmed Khan, a CCG fellow, and I will be your host for today's webinar, today's CCG Global Dialogue Series, Ukraine, what happened, what's next? So let's start with you, Mr. Victor Kao, Vice President, CCG. Um, we are firstly trying to understand the broader picture of the consequences of, of what is unfolding. There is definitely a lot of misinformation. It's hard for ordinary people to really understand the facts on the ground. So if firstly, you can give us a basic synopsis, an opening statement of about 10 minutes, what is happening and what can we expect in the future? Thank you very much, Zoom. It's a great pleasure to attend this very important webinar uh, at the time when the war in Ukraine is raging and uh, civilian lives are threatened. And uh, uh, if we look at the root cause of this uh, conflict between Russia and Ukraine, then there are so many different assets that sometimes it's confusing because different sides present the cases very differently, sometimes in conflicting terms. I think suffice it to say that Russia and Ukraine are very highly integrated and related countries. Uh, these two countries are not simple neighbors towards each other. They share a lot of culture, language, religious faith, and uh, development over the centuries. And uh, therefore, for these two countries to be on the uh, war end against each other, it's very, very unfortunate. And then the war, as we see, may bring about so many civilian casualties, and we need to urge both parties to de-escalate and to uh, bring this to an end as soon as possible. Now, 
on the Russian side, they basically insisted that Ukraine wants to join NATO. Ukraine wants to uh, commit some kind of what they allege, neo-Nazism, for example. And uh, uh, many people in the West basically completely denied this. They claim that President Zelensky and the current Prime Minister of Ukraine are Jewish persons. So how could they commit uh, neo-Nazism? On the other hand, if you listen very carefully to what the Russians have to say, they basically say that over the past several years, there are forces in Ukraine which claim that during the Second World War, the former Soviet Union was as guilty as Nazi Germany, and they basically you know, did a lot of uh, uh, injustice to people like Marshal Chukov and uh, Soviet soldiers who died in order to save uh, Ukraine from Nazi occupation, you name it. So as far as Russia is concerned, denying that the former Soviet Union played a very important role in defeating Nazi Germany was a tantamount to neo-Nazism and also try to accuse Russia today and the former Soviet Union of being guilty as much as the Nazi Germany was, as far as Russia is concerned, tantamount to neo-Nazism. So I think it really depends on which perspective you are looking at. And I think uh, uh, Russia feels it's very much aggrieved. And then in terms of the eastern part of Ukraine, uh, Traditionally, uh, the land was given to Ukraine by Russia. People there speak mostly Russian language, and uh, they uh, are more attached to Russia today than to the western part of Ukraine, whereas the western part of Ukraine over the centuries uh, was occupied uh, or administered by different countries like Poland, Lithuania. And during the Second World War, it was very much occupied by Nazi Germany, etc. And people there are predominantly Ukraine. And they tend to be more inclined towards uh, Europe rather than to uh, uh, Russia instead. So this becomes a very, very divisive uh, factor as far as Ukraine is concerned. Now, allow me to say one thing. If you listen to uh, international reports and analysis of the situation in Ukraine, lots of people say, well, Ukraine is a sovereign country and Ukraine has full capacity to make decisions for itself and it should be free to join whichever bloc it chooses uh, this has a lot of merit to it. On the other hand, allow me to remind all of us of what happened in 1962 during the Cuba Missile Crisis. At that time, the former Soviet Union wanted to base missile in Cuba. No one denied that the Soviet Union was a sovereign country. Cuba was a sovereign country. Cuba and Soviet Union wanted to deploy missile in Cuba, not in Florida. So why should the United States and President Kennedy jump out of the seat and strongly and vehemently oppose the proposed Soviet deployment of missile in Cuba? And why should President Kennedy be ranked one of the greatest presidents of the United States? It's because President Kennedy stood ground and he even went so far as to risk a nuclear showdown between the former Soviet Union and the United States in order to expel the Soviet Union's uh, plan to deploy missile in Cuba. 
Now, I would say, in all honesty, when we exercise maximum rationality, we could probably imagine that President Putin of Russia is seeing the so-called NATO membership of Ukraine joining NATO in a very similar line as President Kennedy did when he saw the Soviet proposal to deploy missile in Cuba back in 1972. So I think of crux of the matter, and there are many, many layers to this issue, I think at the very, very core of the issue is the NATO membership. If Ukraine still wants to become a member of NATO, Russia probably will say, over my dead body. And the war will rage on, and more and more lives will be lost, and eventually may get out of control and degenerate into the abyss of a nuclear disaster. Allow me also to mention that the Minsk agreement, which was designed mainly to address the two uh, people's republics in the eastern part of Ukraine, how uh, Ukraine and uh, the eastern two regions should handle their relations, minimize civilian casualties, etc., uh, was meant to de-escalate the tension in Ukraine after the uh, absorption of Crimea by uh, Russia in, in 2014. Uh, however, for whatever reason, the Minsk agreement was not very much observed or abided by by many parties and leaving, leading to this current situation where Ukraine on the one hand and Russia on the other hand are completely, seemingly irreconcilably pitched against each other. Now, it is very, very important to note that for many decades, this is the first time that we, the mankind as a whole, are on the brink of a nuclear disaster. Now, President Putin of Russia has threatened to use nuclear weapon if any country intervenes or interferes in what's going on in Ukraine, that is the war between Russia and Ukraine. This may be uh, perceived as bluffing. This may be conceived as very substantive threat However, no one should belittle the gravity of the situation involving Ukraine right now. Allow me to say several things. I think of critical importance is to bring the war to an end as soon as possible. Secondly, to minimize and to eliminate civilian casualties. And then the rule of law should be strictly abided by, by either party. And then I hope all the countries should avoid adding more fuel to the fire because now you are talking about Kiev and other major cities in Ukraine being completely surrounded by Russian troops. And if Russia goes one step further in what they traditionally do their warfare, it will involve massive amounts of bombing, shelling, etc., which definitely will lead to huge amount of destruction of property and killing and injuring of innocent people. This will be a tragedy. I would also say for many countries in the world, especially Western countries, United States included, to basically urge the Ukrainian people to fight to the death, to the last Ukrainian in Ukraine, maybe 
very well motivated. However, when the civilian people are caught in the crossfire of a major war in Europe involving Russia and the Ukraine, to urge the Ukrainian people to fight to the death may not be the right thing because this is the time to make sure that the Ukrainian people do not die because of the war and some kind of political settlement can be worked out. It may not be the perfect solution for either Ukraine or for Russia, but this is the time for compromise. This is the time for courage. This is the time to refuse to be tempted to go to extreme by either party with the aim that the Ukrainian people no longer suffer civilian casualties. And this need to be achieved by all parties involved. I think it is really not a very, very uh, dignant thing, dignant thing, a dignified thing to keep sending more arms, more money, uh, more ammunition to Ukraine, not to fight in your own capacity with your own skin in the game, but to urge the Ukrainian people to sacrifice their lives in this war with Russia. This is unfair to the Ukrainian people. Now, on the other hand, also allow me to mention another thing before I wrap up for this segment. That is, both the United States and NATO have made it categorically clear that they have no intention to send any soldier to fight in Ukraine against Russia. And they have no intention at all to impose a no-flying zone above the sky in Ukraine. Why? Because I think their decision makers, their leaders are fully aware any step in the wrong direction may really inflate the situation into a nuclear holocaust, which is not good for all of mankind. It's not just for the Ukrainians or the Russians. It may really get out of control. So I hope it is time for major statesmanship, courage, vision, and we need to stop the war as soon as possible, and we need to find out a political settlement. In this sense, I'm personally very encouraged that Russia and Ukraine are keeping their dialogue open. They are still talking with each other, and we need to make conditions for their talk more easy and more convenient, rather than setting up obstacles for whichever party. I think by the end of the day, when the dust settles, if the Ukrainian people survive, if compromises are made, then we'll have another chance. We have more time to figure out how to deal with the situation in Ukraine. I personally have proposed neutrality for Ukraine. It's not Finlandization of U Ukraine. It's for Ukraine to become another Switzerland of Europe for a country with such complexities and very complicated situation involving Ukraine to be completely on the side of the West against Russia is the dead end as far as Russia is concerned. To be completely on the side of Russia against the West is a dead end as far as the United States and Western countries are concerned. So it is a zero-sum game in a sense. However, if you move one dimension above if you exercise your wisdom, you can become a second Switzerland in Europe while your sovereignty and territorial integrities can be protected. And of course, 
Ukraine currently has lots of territorial disputes and problems, of course, but they can be resolved in the overall framework of a united and neutral Ukraine, and its neutrality can be fully recognized by the United Nations and fully recognized and abided by by all the stakeholders involved in this Ukrainian situation. I will stop here for the moment, Zun, and then uh, I'll be happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Zun. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That was uh, Mr. Victor Gao, Vice President, CCG. And I think a few very important points. First of all, the context, uh, a, bit, a better understanding about what are the calculations and obviously what, what are the considerations at stake. It's not just about, it is obviously a very heated conflict right now, but there are other long-term issues. There are many conversations that need to be had and there needs to be a sense of goodwill uh, for all of the relevant parties, for all of the relevant stakeholders as we proceed. And I also think it's a very important point that right now the first and foremost priority uh, I, I'm summarizing briefly, it is and should be to end the war and to encourage the dialogue currently ongoing between Russia and Ukraine. So that was uh, Mr. Victor Gao, now Ambassador Steele of Europe Asia Center. Um, how would you summarize the current situation? What is the understanding from the European perspective? Because obviously the, the main purpose of this conversation is also to understand each other, understand the concerns, and, and really think about more creative ways in which we can come closer to a possible consensus. So the floor is yours for a 10 minute opening remark. Yeah, thank you, thank you very much. And also thank you, thank you Victor, Victor Gao. I'm sorry, I see my logo is upside down. Is that, is that probably from my uh, EU, from the Europe Asia Center? I'm sorry for that. Uh, I have been listening very carefully to Victor's uh, remarks. Um, uh, maybe he will not be surprised that I, I'm not always in agreement with uh, what he's saying, but that's probably the purpose of uh, you know, this kind of webinar, that we, we indeed exchange ideas. I come from the heart of Europe. I live in Brussels, uh, which is uh, maybe becoming potentially a target uh, for, for Mr. Putin. Uh, so we, we are becoming really scared, I can tell you. This is not, uh, we are in the midst of a, 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 a crisis in Europe, which I've never seen. And it has been unprovoked. It's not by the poor, the poor Ukrainians who provoked Mr. Putin. It's all, I would say, um, one man. It's not even Russia. We are not in fighting against Russia. We are fighting against Mr. Putin. He is a dictator, as also was said to tonight by, by, by President Biden. And I think this is true. If someone can say he is not a dictator, then I want to hear his arguments. But as we are discussing the invasion eh, of Ukraine, and I can tell you, this is a real invasion. This is not something of a military, uh, a military engagement. Uh, the, you know, the, uh, you know, when we are talking, the, the attack continues. And if you have seen the images this morning of Kiev, I mean, then it is very sobering. This is very serious. This is not, this is not of this age. This is middle ages. This is, how can you, how can you, how dare you as, as a superpower, you know, invade a country, you know, unprovoked a country, a sovereign country, you know, which, which is very peace loving and hardworking. How can you do that? And this is for me something, uh, I, I, I must express my, my utter horror 
and disgust at this blatant, unprovoked attack by the Putin troops against an independent, sovereign and peace-loving country. And in my long career as a Belgian diplomat, and I can tell you, I have been a privileged witness and even a participant of the end of the Cold War. So we knew what we were doing. I have never seen, I have never been so shell-shocked. I have never been so numb listening to the news last week of the Russian invasion into Ukraine, unprovoked, without any justification whatsoever, except lies and fake facts, without any legal ground, nothing. This is what Mr. Putin does to Europe. This is what Mr. Putin does to the world community. This is unacceptable. And this senseless war perpetuated, and I, and I use the word, a cold dictator who thinks he can reshape the world according to his personal wishes. And very emotionally I am, and I will say in Spanish, no pasaran, no pasaran. And I want to pay tribute to the Ukrainian people and President Zelensky for their heroic resistance. And they will prevail whatever the price they will have to pay for the ultimate victory. Ukraine will prevail against, you know, barbaric Russians. And sorry for this in emotional intro, but I'm not only a retired diplomat, but more importantly, I'm a father and a grandfather. How can I explain to them, to my grandchildren, to my children, this kind of barbaric medieval violence coming from Russia, a country known for its rich culture and civilization? We are going back to the Middle Ages here. And as I said, while we are discussing the fate of the valiant Ukrainians, their fate is left in the balance. What will happen after this terrible night, another night in Kiev? And we are very close to Kiev, I can tell you. We are, you know, two hours flight. A ceasefire to save lives and reputations, I hope so. And you mentioned it, uh, uh, Victor. Or another bloodbath, an international conflict, a world war, or a total surrender, is that what he wants? a tactical retreat of the aggressor or a civil war. Those are the options today after another night in Kiev. And there are still too many open questions. But what is now already certain, the Russian invasion of Ukraine will reshape, redraw the geopolitical map of Europe. And gone is the era of prudent appeasement and active cooperation with the Putin regime. Putin is definitely revealing himself as the arch enemy of the free world and as a military gangster within Europe. And I'm not mincing my words as you hear. This was already apparent after the incursions in Georgia in 2008, in the Crimea in 2014, in, East, in Eastern Ukraine in 2014, in Syria recently, and recently also in Kazakhstan. It was further apparent after the shooting down of a passenger plane of Malaysia Airlines above Ukraine and the poisoning and assassination of the political opponents of Mr. Putin. Until last week, the West tolerated his behavior and did not resist or very little. Not anymore. Putin has achieved in one week what he has been trying to avoid the last 20 years. NATO, which last year was still declared Brain dead has found a new lifeblood, new vigor, a new unity. In the short term, we can expect to see 
more American boots on the ground in Europe, and in the medium term, a genuine European defense. The defense spending, the strategic cooperation, the geographical presence, this will become more and more European. How Europe will pay for it remains to be seen. And the most amazing unintended consequence of Mr. Putin's invasion of Ukraine is Germany, which this week decided to become a truly military power again in Europe. The first time since the end of the Second World War. We could say, thank you, Mr. Putin. You have, uni uni you have united Europe. You have united NATO. You have put Germany in front of its responsibilities. Thank you, Mr. Putin. And as long as Putin is in power, democratic Europe will be in a permanent state of conflict with Russia. Every European democracy, not a member of the, the EU or NATO, will feel strategically threatened by, by Mr. Putin. The further expansion of the EU and NATO is now predictable. And you have heard yesterday, you know, we are reaching our hand to Ukraine to become a member of the European Union. And by the way, the European Union is not a military alliance. So we are not talking about NATO, we are talking about the European Union and its values. The further expansion of the EU and NATO, as I said, is now predictable. Either Europe pushes its influence or security further east, or it is Russia which pushes its influence and war zone in the direction of Europe. Between the two now, the, between the two blocks, a new iron curtain will be erected. This is the situation Mr. Putin has put Europe in. And the invasion of Ukraine is a wake-up call for Europe's relations also with China. And we will have to significantly review our relationship and our mutual dependencies. Now, the war should not be, uh, should not mean politics with other means. China's first reaction against Putin's invasion were rather supportive, but its decision to abstain in the Security Council condemning Russia's invasion is hopeful sign that China eventually will choose the right side of history and side with the nations in favor of a rules-based, value-based international order and opposing the role of the jungle. We remain hopeful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ambassador Steele. And I think obviously it's quite clear that the, the ground sentiment uh, and the direction that European um, partners and obviously uh, the West in general is going in uh, seems to be uh, quite different from, for instance, what uh, Mr. Gao just mentioned. Uh, there are two possibilities at this point, uh, given both of our expert experts' uh, comments. Uh, one is that we can really try our best to reduce the hostility somehow and think about uh, possible solutions that both Russia and Ukraine can settle their differences. Another is possibly that we see further escalation and uh, possibly uh, an increased geopolitical divide in some case, in some ways. So over here, Mr. Gao, actually, I would like to ask you if you would like to respond in some case, also uh, talk a bit about China's uh, perspective and, um, and what, what do you think about this sentiment, which seems to be 
very um, strong. Thank you very much, Zun. I listened very carefully to what uh, Ambassador uh, Steele had uh, very eloquently said. And I think what uh, Ambassador said really echoed a lot of sentiments across the world in many countries, especially in almost all the Western countries. Um, while they, they felt that they had the justification to uh, hold out such views, I think right now is the time to do what's the absolutely necessary thing in politics, in geopolitics, or in military affairs. That is to understand yourself as well as understand the other side. Because if you only understand yourself and don't understand the other side, it will be a dead end. You cannot get out of this dilemma. Now, I would say, if, for example, what Ambassador Steele just now said very eloquently, very emotionally, were completely put into uh, execution, I would say what we would ha have will be an iron curtain dividing Russia from the rest of Europe or dividing Russia from uh, the developed uh, world, etc. you will have a new Cold War. Now, it is easier said than done. Why? Because for many European countries, they depend on Russia as far as, let's say, up to 100% sometimes, up to 50% sometimes for their imported crude oil and uh, natural gas from Russia. Now, if you say we want to cut off Russia, and we want to have nothing to do with Russia, do it. But if you do that, you hurt your own people. You put your own economy into a recession. And then the two sides of this conflict will continue their antagonism against each other for years, if not for decades. And then whatever you do in terms of armament, you know, in deploying uh, weapons to the eastern flank of NATO, recruiting more NATO members, for example, how can you imagine a war between Russia on the one hand and NATO on the other hand? Because France and the United Kingdom are both nuclear-powered countries, and the United States is the second most important nuclear power in the world. If war breaks out between NATO on the one hand and Russia on the other hand, I think we are talking about the annihilation of Earth and wiping out of human civilization. So I would say this is the time to see while you may feel indignant about many, many things currently going on in Ukraine, we need to think about what the world will be tomorrow when the sun rises again, when mankind and our future generation still want to live on in this world. This is not the dead of human civilization. We do not want to create this kind of Armageddon situation between Russia on the one hand and the Western world on the other hand, because otherwise you basically push Russia into the corner, you push President Putin in the corner, then there will be greater likelihood of a very, very unpleasant nuclear disaster happening to many countries in the world. So I would just say, this is the time for all of us to feel however you feel about the situation in Ukraine on the one side, but then to feel more about the future generation of mankind, about the necessity and the indispensability of building peace right now, rather than 
provoking a war between NATO on the one hand and Russia on the other hand. That will be a dead end. That will be wiping out of mankind from the earth. Uh, and, and what a scary, uh, what a scary prospect that is. So, Ambassador Steele, um, indeed, like Mr. Gao mentioned, you you made very eloquent and, and remarks that do resonate. It is an unfortunate event that has occurred. It is tragic for people in Ukraine. It's 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 a tragedy in itself. But let's talk about. Another possibility, one is, like you mentioned in your opening remarks, that this is the time for NATO, for Europe, for these allies to come together and really um, show President Putin and show Russia that they are strong enough to, to withhold this. And that, as Mr. Gao mentioned, could end up in further escalation. And, and unfortunately, this is something the world simply cannot afford. What is your... Uh, alternative view? What could possibly be done? What kind of talks could be held? What kind of uh, bottom lines could be set, for instance, to reduce the existing escalation? So do you see any hope coming out of the current dialogue between Russia and Ukraine, for instance? Um, is there a possibility of setting up a method in which both sides, both sides on two ends of the spectrum can actually at least try and understand each other's perspectives? Uh, thank you again. Um, le let me say, and, and you know, um, usually I'm a rather quiet person, but I'm very emotional because you know this is this is in my front door. This is not uh, you. You are probably you know ten thousand kilometers away, but this is happening here in Europe, and you know Europe very well. It's one of the, the finest and, and most beautiful parts of the world, uh, together with China. And I tell you, that's why I am a the chairman of the Europe Asia Center, and I believe in the dialogue between you know the two, the two, this beautiful two parts of the world. Now, coming back on what should be done, you know, um, if you have seen the buildup of the military forces around Ukraine, nobody understood what was happening. I mean, there was no specific reason. Uh, Victor, you mentioned a couple of, of reasons of Nazism. I mean. You know, Mr. Zelensky, he is Jewish. You know, he's even, you know, he speaks Russian. He is a Russian speaker. Why the hell should he be in a, in a fight against Mr. Putin? You know, we also have to see that sometimes in history, personalities, you know, people like Mr. Putin, you know, they can change, you know, by an erratic behavior, the world. And we have to be very careful. We have known Hitler in the past. We have known Hitler in Europe. I mean, I, I was born after the war, but my father was a prisoner of war by, uh, from Hitler. So we have that experience. So what do you expect that we should do? You know, if a blatant invasion, you know, I myself never thought that that would be possible. I always said to my wife, he will never do that because the consequences are so dire. But he did that. And why? And he is going, he's now attacking Russian cities in Ukraine. You mentioned yourself, they are brother countries, but they are separate countries. They have their own identity. I come from a, a country where there are different, you know, we live in, in Flanders, we live in, in Wallonia. We, we don't agree always, but we don't fight. We are brothers. We are all part of, we are all part of Belgium. We are all part of Europe. This is our mother, motherland. So I can tell you, this is the same with Ukraine. 
You know, you know that Ukraine, when they were part of the Soviet Union, they were the best soldiers in the Red Army. They were the soldiers, you know, who actually liberated Auschwitz, you know, in Poland. If you have heard about Auschwitz, I hope so. But Auschwitz was liberated by Ukrainian soldiers. They were fighters. They wanted to fight for their country. They wanted to fight, even if that country was part of the Soviet Union. Just to tell you how sensitive this is, and I agree with you, and I agree uh, with the moderator, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Mr. Putin will, will be forced to talk to, to us. You know, there is no other way except total war. Is that the kind of thing? Is that the kind of mindset he has? Total war. So we have to protect ourselves. And you understand that, I'm sure. If China would be, you know, uh, involved in such a conflict, what do you do? You protect yourself. We protect our citizens. We protect our cities. We want to be united and in, indeed against this threat from, from, from Russia. And that's why I say, you know, you ask for, you know, what are, what are the, the uh, possibilities of, uh, of potential of the discussions on the, the yeah. I mean, this is bogus. This is bogus at the moment. These people are sitting there. The only discussion, you know, is Mr. Putin himself that he comes to Europe or that we go to, uh, to to Moscow and to discuss together. But that cannot continue. You cannot continue to bombard the most, one of the most beautiful cities of, of Europe. You cannot accept that, not even as a Chinese, you know, you cannot accept that. This, can you imagine that they would bomb your, your beautiful city of Shanghai? Or no, you cannot imagine that. We have to accept that from Mr. Putin. We cannot do that. So my, my uh, answer to your question is, yes, diplomacy is the only way. And yes, you know, we have to engage into a dialogue. But Mr. Putin, you know, how many people, Mr. Macron, President Macron, President uh, uh, Chancellor, Cole, uh, Chancellor uh, Stolz, they all went to, to, uh, to, to Moscow to sit on a table of 30 meters to talk to him. Is that the real, <clears throat> is that the kind of dialogue he wants from us? We don't want to be subjugated, you know, we want to be taken seriously. And I think this is the kind of, at, today we are not yet at that stage, when he is parachuting troops over Kiev, you know, how do we want us to talk to him? He should stop, first of all, the, 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 the fighting, you know, he should, he should withdraw his, his forces. He should indeed accept that, you know, a war is not a way to solve problems. And what are the problems? You are mentioning in you know, Nazism. I mean, sorry, Victor, you know, I, I like the center very much, but this is talk from, from 50 years ago or 70 years ago, but not for today. This was all fake. This was all constructed, you know, that the Minsk agreement, you know, the, the war discussions, and nobody has ever, ever said that they were not uh, the right forum to have the discussion. We are willing to go back to that. But there is Mr. Putin who said, I don't want anything anymore. Be, you know, we should be, we should make a, uh, it's true, we are in an emotional crisis at the moment in Europe. Everyone is very tense. And I can tell you, you can talk to, you know, to, if you talk to the, the, the prime ministers or you talk to the, the, the president of, of, uh, of France, everyone is very tense because it has been such an unprovoked, senseless, unnecessary war, please. If you love peace, you would agree with me. And I'm ready. And I'm in, you know, in my, in, in, you know, in my capacity with my friends, please, indeed, we should talk to each other. 
don't fight and don't send parachutists over the most beautiful city of Europe. So again, this is my, my, my point. I hope, and that's also another point, I am a great admirer of your country, you know that. I have excellent contacts with your country and, and also the way you, know, you have managed your, 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 your economy. You, you have taken out millions and millions of people out of poverty in such a short time. Everyone should admire indeed the way China is doing that. But China, this is not an example, uh, Russia is not an example for China. You know, China should be indeed, this is the moment that China has to decide on which side of the history it will stand. Is it okay, going to stand, is it going to stand uh, with Mr. Putin against us? Or is it going to stand in the middle and say, let's try to, to agree. And I fully am fully on your side to say, indeed, we have to save this you know, the people of this planet here. And it's, it's very urgent. If you don't do we it, do, the, whole, the, the whole thing will escalate. Okay, Ambassador Steele. Now, I think Mr. Gao will also like to respond to some of your points. So the floor is yours, Mr. Gao. Yeah, thank you, Zun. I think the ambassador made his point very well known and I listened very carefully. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, uh, his sentiments are very uh, widely uh, shared by many people, many countries in the world. Now, he even, even Switzerland, the, even Switzerland, by the way, the first time that Switzerland is, you know, siding. Yeah. yeah, the first time, not neutral. They are siding with us. Exactly. Uh, uh, the ambassador also mentioned the China and uh, which side China would choose. Allow me to mention how I look at this. I think China chooses the side of peace and China chooses the side of diplomacy. You may know that the Ukrainian foreign minister called the Chinese foreign minister just recently. The Russian foreign minister called the Chinese foreign minister recently. The heads of states of China and Russia spoke on the phone recently. So you can see China is very uniquely positioned among almost all the countries in the world today that China has a role to play. China does not want to pick side one side against the other because we know for sure in a very explosive situation like this, if you choose one side against the other, you does not save more lives. <laughs> Does, you do not save more life. You do not minimize civilian casualties. You pour more fire, fuel onto the fire. China wants to play a quiet diplomacy role to urge both Russia and Ukraine to de-escalate with the aim of minimizing civilian loss, with the aim of achieving a ceasefire, with the aim of winding down the war as quickly as possible, and the two th sides really move back to the negotiation table to reach a settlement of whatever issues there are. Now, the situation between Russia and Ukraine is not just between Ukraine and Russia. It is very much a reflection of the anger of Russia against NATO. This is a very, very broader issue rather than oh, purely bilateral between Ukraine and Russia. Therefore, I would say a solution eventually, whenever it happens, when the dust does settle, would require settlement of one thing. And this is the most important thing. That is NATO membership for Ukraine. I can say, and I can put this on the record, according to my analysis, if Ukraine becomes a NATO member state, Russia will never allow that to happen. You are talking about continuation of war in Ukraine. You're talking about 
more losses of life in Ukraine. And if political wisdom and courage will be demonstrated, so that Ukraine will not become a NATO member, while their sovereignty can be fully respected, the best solution is to become a second Switzerland in Europe for Ukraine, to be a permanent neutral country for Ukraine. Now, this is how I look at the situation. I'm very dismayed about the war in Ukraine. I have friends in uh, Ukraine. I have friends in Russia. And uh, I, I'm very pained and traumatized to see people of very close affinity with each other are now at war against each other. They are killing each other. This is unfair to the Ukrainian people. This is unfair for European peace and security. And we just need to use all our brain power to figure out a way out. Now, to impose a kind curtain between Russia on the one hand and the Western world on the other hand does not solve the problem. We need to have greater wisdom and greater courage. Thank you, Mr. Gao. And, and uh, on that note, actually, Ambassador Steele, I would like to ask, uh, you mentioned how uh, currently uh, the Russians are not talking, and that, that is absolutely vital, if I, if I captured parts of your comment correctly. Don't you think that the current Russia-Ukraine talks, uh, as inconclusive as they may, may seem right now, uh, are a starting point and an important starting point? And how do you think, if, if not so from your perspective, how can they be improved in terms of uh, what they can achieve? I mean, you have seen that uh, the Ukrainian government has accepted the talks yes. very, you know, very swiftly. And not because they were under pressure of being again, uh, getting more uh, bombardments, but they were because they believe in dialogue. This, this, these are serious people. I mean, you know, that's why I, I, I felt a bit offended. Those are not Nazis, Nazis you know, uh, Victor. Those are people like you and me. You know, they care about their government. They care about their people. You know, Mr. Zelensky, as I said, he's Jewish. Can you imagine? He is a Russian speaker. He is, I mean, his heart is in Russia. The families are mixed. So, of course, they accept to speak. Uh, <clears throat> of course, they had one meeting. And, and it was, it, even in, in, in Belarus, can you imagine? I mean, this, if this um, kind of talks have a, a chance to succeed, they should happen in a, in a neutral place. It could be in Vienna, it could be in Geneva, uh, and, but not certainly not on the border with Belarus which is a, a participants in the invasion. So that's, that's my job. I believe in, in, in dialogue because this has been my, my whole life, talking to people. You know, I was ambassador in Vietnam. I, I know what it means, you know, war, because, you know, I talked with so many people there. Uh, it is, it's only by talking that you understand. But here there is something, and you have to help me, uh, Victor. I do not understand. How can I understand the reasoning of one person, Mr. Putin? What is he going to do? You know, maybe they will be talking, but he will decide all by himself. So what I actually hope, and this is for me, I'm begging, you know, China to play that role of a, an intermediary, you know, to indeed bring Europe or the West, because this war, uh, Victor, is a European war. It's not about the United States. Of course, the United States, they have the, the military 
power and, and, and the hardware which we do not have in Europe. We need protection also from, from, from the Americans. But I believe in China. This is the time that China can stand up and say, it is here about peace and war in the world. It's about the survival of this planet. You know, and we need to talk to this man there in Moscow because he is completely unpredictable. So my, my suggestion is, indeed, China, please go the way of the dialogue. Talk to the, to, the, to the people. Talk to Europe, because Europe is your best partner, believe me. And I've been talking to your ambassadors here in Brussels all the time. They are fine people. You know, it's sometimes difficult. We all know that. But this is part of the politics. But we don't fight. You know, can you imagine? This guy is just you know, putting in young troops, 18 years old. You know, they don't have a, a clue about Ukraine. And they fight there against who? Against their brothers. Can you imagine? This is a civil war. This is, but this civil war has to be contained. And I call on China to be indeed uh, the, the, this power, you know, to find the middle ground, you know. They always said that China is, is the empire, you know, the middle empire. Please play that role. Okay, for Ambassador Steele, uh, in a nutshell also, if the location, if where the talks are held is relatively more neutral, and if we have a country like China, playing that role of an intermediary, they could have more authenticity. Mr. Gao, how would you respond? Yeah, thank you, Zun. And uh, again, the ambassador made his point very eloquently. I listened very carefully. And as far as China is concerned, I do want to emphasize that China attaches the utmost importance to peace and stability in Ukraine, in Europe at large, and in the world. China wants to embrace fully peace and stability. And as far as Ukraine war is concerned, China wants to play a very, very important, indispensable, quiet diplomacy role. Now, China's power or capabilities will be limited because China is not a direct party involved in this war. I've outlined what I think very important. That is the NATO membership. I think without having a solution on the NATO membership, this will be a dead end. The war will be continuing. The war may even escalate. More lives will be lost. I think if there will be a solution involving the NATO membership for Ukraine, for example, or no NATO membership for Ukraine, this creates a lot of flexibility as to how to proceed. Now, I want to emphasize that China has a very important role to do in this war as a mediator, as a good officer, for example. And China is very clear. It wants to achieve peace. It wants to restore stability in that part of the world. And in the world of today, pouring more fuel onto this fire is not only not constructive, but it's very, very dangerous. Because I want to remind all of us, mankind has never been so close to the brink of a nuclear war as we are now. The prospect of that may seem so remote to most of us, but it is real. We are on the brink of a nuclear disaster. We all need to be mobilized. We need to work for peace and we need to work for ceasefire. We need to work for end of war in Ukraine.
immediately. Immediately. Thank you, Mr. Gao. And speaking of, we actually have a question on the same note uh, for Ambassador Steele, one of our viewers, is asking uh, if you foresee a nuclear threat in the near future, and if you believe Europe is well prepared to respond to this kind of a threat, avoiding massive casualties. So Ambassador Steele, if you could briefly respond to this question, I know you brought up this issue as well. Uh, Mr. Gao is also talking about it. Um, it is definitely a drastic, a very dangerous and scary prospect to think about. And this viewer of ours is in Europe as we speak. So would you like to respond to her question? You know, uh, to, be, to be very open and honest on this question, Personally, I don't believe that, you know, Mr. Putin will push on, on the nuclear button. And why? I think, first of all, this is completely, you know, self-destructive. This is the end of Russia. This is the end of Putin at the first place, but this is the end of Russia. But it's also going to be the end of, of the world in a way, because I don't see how, you know, uh, we could survive this kind of escalation, nuclear escalation. But the problem is we don't know what is in the head of Mr. Putin. That's the problem. Secondly, you have also what they call tactical nuclear weapons. If he would use tactical nu nuclear weapons in, in, in Ukraine, then Mr. Putin is also killing his own soldiers. Maybe he doesn't care, but actually um, this, this would be absolutely senseless, would be uh, murderers. So again, personally, I don't believe that that will happen. But last week, I didn't believe either that Mr. Putin would invade Ukraine without being provoked, and and and, and on such a scale, you know, you you could maybe imagine that he would have in eastern Ukraine taken one or two villages, but he goes after Kiev. Can you imagine? So so I'm uh, in a way I'm. Uh, I feel uh, that it will not happen, but I'm not sure, Miss Mr. Putin, what is in, in his head. You know, um, I, I do know what what is you know what people think in Europe about that and, and in America. But please, you know, uh, Mr. Putin needs your advice, needs the advice of the Chinese government uh, on on calming down. You know, the whole de-escalating the whole situation. We have not created the situation. It's not because of NATO. And I tell you one thing about NATO, uh, Victor. I remember I used to, to, to work in, in Bulgaria. And when Bulgaria uh, in 1980, in the 90s, you know, the first thing Bulgaria did was, you know, they, they took a distance from, 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 from the Soviet Union, from the Soviet Union. And uh, the first thing they did before even becoming a member of, of the European Union was to become a member of NATO, because that was a kind of an, an insurance policy. At least we, we, we are covered. We are, if we are threatened again, uh, uh, we have at least this uh, insurance policy. But I can say NATO has never been uh, aggressive to, 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 to Russia. You know, this is becoming, this is a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy by some people in, 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 in Russia. This is not true. We have never been aggressive. There has never been a threat from NATO. Of course, you know, we, we have two systems. You know, if you, we, we, we try indeed to organize ourselves, but NATO has never been a, <laughs> has never been an occupation. Never, eh? as such, you know, we, it's a 
it's only a defensive mechanism, you know, to make sure that the members are, are fine. I can tell you one thing, you mentioned uh, again, Ukraine and NATO. I, I agree with you. Uh, I don't see uh, that NATO membership of Ukraine is on, 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 uh, uh, on the table today. I don't believe that. I think we will, uh, uh, I, I, I like your idea of a Switzerland for, um, you know, for, for Ukraine. Uh, of course, you know, Switzerland, as I men mentioned, uh, took sides now. They, 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 they apply, you know, the, the sanctions against uh, uh, Russia. That means the first time. So, please, um, my message to you, Victor, is you are close to, to, uh, to, to China. You are close, you are Chinese. And I know how much I, I love, you know, your country. Um, I hope that you know China will be able to play this role as a, a mediator, you know, between the different uh, parties. And uh, you have good access to to Europe. You have excellent, you know. As I said, sometimes we have we have problems when we we discuss it. Like you know, we don't fight. We don't fight. We are people. You know, as I, I mentioned, that that war should not be a, another means of of politics. I mentioned that war is is the ultimate. You know, this is the kind of uh, the the failure of everything. This is war, and and therefore I'm so glad that you uh, took the initiative to bring people together to talk about this uh, very sensitive issue. Uh, and and uh, with all my emotions, but my emotions that means what I have been saying to you, they came from my heart, and my heart is bleeding at the moment. Thank you. Thank you, Ambassador Steele. And indeed, it is tragic what we see unfolding. I do know that Mr. Gao wants to respond to your uh, remarks, but we also have a question from the audience for him, yeah. uh, Since, which is, since the first round of negotiation between Russia and Ukraine, do you see any possibility for both sides to reach some sort of consensus? And if not for now, why and how can there be any breakthrough? I did ask this question to Ambassador Steele, yeah. but this time it's for you. Yeah, thank you, Zun. Uh, before I answer your very important question, allow me to uh, mention one point mm -hmm. as uh, what uh, the Ambassador just now very eloquently said. Ambassador, I personally, and I think uh, lots of people here in China want to see peace prevailing involving uh, Ukraine, and we want to see peace prevailing in Europe. This is the bottom line of so many Chinese people have. We really do not want to see war in any part of the world, in Ukraine in particular, and in any part of Europe in particular, because war is truly inhumane and very destructive. And it should not be used as an instrument to achieve any political gain, uh, aim in the world of today. Now, uh, for, as far as your question is concerned, once you have a war, and now we have a full-blown war in, involving Ukraine and Russia, uh, you either fight to the very last, regardless of human casualties, or one side prevails against the other side, and a solution is made or is imposed onto the other side. Right now, when you look at the situation in Ukraine, uh, Russia has an upper hand in terms of the military strength and in terms of the maneuverable positioning of their forces is concerned. So if you just say, okay, let's fight the war again for another week or so, you can, as a matter of probability, 
figure out what will be the end of this war. And if Russian troops really prevail against the Ukrainian troops, the fighting is brought to an end, you will know what will be the settlement to be imposed onto the Ukrainian side. Now, you can work as many other European countries or NATO members are doing right now, providing more arms, providing more ammunition, try to escalate the situation, etc. But Russia has made its bottom line very clear. They will continue to impose the end of this war onto Ukraine, even at the risk of initiating a nuclear conflict. So I think this is time for real statesmanship. I think right now, given the complexity and the high stakes involved, to bring the war to an end as quickly as possible is the best solution. It may not be the perfect compromise for either party, but this is the time for real statesmanship. This is no time for Americans or Europeans to urge the Ukrainians to continue to fight on till the last one standing, because this will not only be unfair to the Ukrainian people, this will probably push the escalation into the new phase, that is from conventional war, which is terrible as far as this war in Ukraine is concerned, to non-conventional warfare. This will be truly a great nightmare for mankind. I have kids, I have families in different parts of the world. I want to see that our future generation will survive. They will enjoy peace and stability rather than human species, homo sapien, homo sapien being wiped out because of politicians' stupidity. May, may, may I just uh, comment? Um, uh, actually, what you're saying is that you know, we should surrender and we should say, yes, okay, you are Russia and let's now make peace. Because what is going to happen? Because I think the military might of Russia is enormous and we will probably, they will probably, you know, uh, beat uh, the, the Ukrainians very easily the coming days. But what, what is going to be there? Are they going to put a new government in place? What's going to happen? Uh, is that a regime regime change? You know, we're going to put something. But this will be continuous fighting, guerrilla fighting. You know that in, in China, your, your history, the Vietnamese history. I mean, is that what they want? What is the way out of that? It's just, you know, the way out is that, is that indeed that, that Mr. Putin stop fighting and that we talk but you cannot just say surrender, you know, because it's more blood bloodshed. I mean, you know, Ukrainians, they are ferocious fighters. I told you, they were in the first lines of the Red Army, you know, regaining territory against the Germans in the Second World War. They are ferocious. You know, I would like to meet them, you know. And you know what it means fighting until, until the, last, the last man. I mean, you see what happened in your civil war against you know japanese and all what happened they were fighting because they they were fighting because they believed in the cause they believed that they had a just cause i'm very sorry now we have to find out how how do we square all that eh? and maybe again now that's why i'm turning to to china uh, it has to be more than just say surrender and then we make peace uh, there will be something more than just that 
Thank you so much, Ambassador. I think we will have to leave it there. It's um, We scheduled this webinar for an hour and what a discussion this has been. From my end, I think both of our speakers have really expressed their points of view. As much as those views may be different in some cases, in some ways, they're both asking for peace and they both want lasting peace. And of course, war in any part of the world is horrific, is tragic, and so is this one. So what are we looking for are lasting solutions. And the purpose of this webinar really was to bring these different perspectives and talk it out, understand in a better way, what are the concerns and what is at stake? What caused this and what are the possible consequences? But of course, we should definitely have a second round. The conversation is still ongoing. There's a lot more that our speakers want to discuss and there's a lot more that our audience should be knowing. So that's all from us. Thank you for watching CCG uh, Global Dialogue Series. And for our topic, Ukraine, what happened, what's next? We will continue to convey what the ongoing developments are. We will hopefully organize another conversation very soon. And we hope that this conversation was insightful for you. So thank you, Mr. Gao. Thank you. And thank you, Ambassador. Thank you, Steve. Ambassador. Thank you. And thank, thank you, Mr. Gao. And thank you uh, for this thank very you. open discussion. Uh, and thank I'm always willing to, to contribute uh, to, to, to to find you know proper solutions thank you thank you let's let's all hope that can be the case